Today we're going to be looking at the life of Helen Keller, a deafblind activist who overcame impossible odds to transform society. While many people are aware of her disability-related advocacy efforts, Keller's work extended far beyond that. So today, we're going to explore a curated list of her accomplishments. And then, we're going to delve into the mechanisms which made her campaigning efforts so effective. Because it should be Keller's legacy that we learn all that we can from them and let her spirit live on in our own. Her story begins in 1880, born in the Charm of the Shoals to Scumbia, Alabama. At 19 months old, Keller lost her sight and hearing after a bout of illness. Her vision was decimated, her hearing gone, and her voice mute. Her parents were her lifeline, and it's no secret that parenting is difficult. Now, imagine raising a child you can't communicate with at a time where her condition was associated with early death due to its logistical demands. Of people aged 10 to 15 years old in 1900, 550 out of every million were completely deaf, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That number dropped to 325 per million for people aged 20 to 25. Despite this, her parents never gave up on her, and perhaps this was the warmth which would cater to the flames that would awaken within their daughter. Her parents were not equipped to handle this alone, and so in 1887 they solicited the help of Anne Sullivan, the miracle worker whom Alexander Graham Bell would recommend to work with Helen. Now, Bell's legacy is surrounded by controversy regarding his relationship to the deaf community, partly because of his oralist approach to their advocacy. His belief that all deaf people should learn to lip-read instead of use sign language has been criticized as removing the autonomy of the deaf community and instilling within it an inherently disabling focus. He derided the use of sign language and opted instead for the deaf community to not impose on other communities and to adapt to their needs. Here, we can catch a glimpse of some of the issues intersecting activism and advocacy, two novel frameworks for participating in change, and which in this case would help shape Keller's later activist efforts. Now, Anne Sullivan, who had overcome her own vision challenges and escaped poverty through social work and advocacy, would become Keller's lifelong teacher and companion, teaching her to communicate, to read, write, and speak. And while many of you are likely acquainted with the story, I believe it's always worth revisiting because it still brings me goosebumps. Sullivan would take Helen's hand and spell words as Helen interacted with objects. Helen would not always be the most complicit, but Sullivan's persistence and creativity should serve as a testament to the hard work and perseverance which would come to define Helen's life. On April 5th, 1887, Sullivan traced five letters onto Helen's palm. W-A-T-E-R. And it was routine at this point. But Sullivan was not prepared for what happened next, because Helen traced it right back. On a personal level, I find this so immensely beautiful. The fact that Helen's first word was water. It's a ubiquitous symbol of life, and how fitting that it would give her a whole new one. This moment would set Helen onto a path of progressive activism. Keller's political awakening first began during her studies at Radcliffe College, which was considered to be the female equivalent of Harvard at the time. After her graduation in 1904, Keller began advocating for the deaf and blind. She conducted fundraising for the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary and the New York Association for the Blind. Not only did Keller aspire to change the systemic infrastructure supporting economic and social opportunity for her communities, but she also played a role in preventing blindness from spreading into the next generation. A large part of activism is staying informed. And Keller devoured information. When it wasn't accessible in Braille, she would have Sullivan or others spell it out into her palms. During Keller's lifetime, at least 40% of blindness cases in the U.S. were caused by an infection of newborns with ophthalmia neonatorum, 
a type of conjunctivitis. In 1909, Keller wrote to schools, to churches, and her local government calling for increased education and federal funding that would allow all newborns to receive cheap eye drops at birth to prevent the disease. She would write in, I must speak, a plea to the American woman, the following excerpt following a strong preface about the power of society to change that which it does not wish to accept. Let no one suppose that this is idle advice. In France and Germany, the laws require that the eyes of every child shall be treated with nitrate of silver solution as soon as it is born. And in those countries, there has been a considerable decrease in blindness from the scourge of ophthalmia neonatorum. And what do the wise lawmakers of America do? A bill for the prevention of blindness introduced recently in the Illinois legislature failed to pass because it was argued that this was only another scheme of doctors to provide fees for themselves. But at best, the law is concerned only with the remedy. The people themselves, and only they, can wipe out the cause. Now, we're going to revisit Keller's writings in a bit, because the way that she crafts her narratives, it, I mean, it's effective. You can tell she wasn't here to play games. She was a woman on a mission, a true agent of change. But at this point, I'd like to take a brief moment to anticipate a thought some of you may have, because we're going to be delving into a side of Keller's activism, which many may not agree with, and most are not aware of. But that's okay, because you don't need to agree with someone to learn from them, particularly so in activism, where we are all working towards the same goal, ensuring that the world represents the plurality of us. The tools for doing so can be universally applied, so if you happen to disagree with her, then disagree with her, but don't diminish her impact or her work or her mastery over advocacy by thinking that you have nothing to gain from her just because of what she stood for. That being said, Let's explore how Keller would go on to get involved in labor reform. In 1909, she joined the Socialist Party. She donated money to socialist newspapers and publicly advocated for socialist political candidates during the 1910s. Keller wrote several articles on workers' rights, gave lectures, supported strikes, and helped walk the picket line. She was involved in raising awareness, in developing infrastructure, and focused on mobilizing the public. She allied with the industrial workers of the world, the Wobblies, a radical unionist group. In March of 1918, during the time of World War I, members of the Wobblies were indicted for allegedly interfering with the United States' war effort. Keller famously came forward for their aid, writing an article in their defense for the first issue of The Liberator, a socialist periodical. The ability to speak one's mind is a skill that takes time to develop, and by this point, Keller had years of experience. In her book, Helen Keller, Her Socialist Years, she would go on to state, I have visited sweatshops, factories, crowded slums of New York and Washington. Of course, I could not see the squalor, but what I could not see, I could smell. Now, I've heard that when you lose a sense, your other senses are heightened. And I read about what she did in order to stay informed on the causes that she cared about, it really breathed life into me because she, here she was, you know, going to such lengths to, to be able to empathize with people that experienced the world fundamentally different than how she could, who could not even face the same challenges as she would. But staying informed is difficult for people today. I know that I myself struggle with it immensely. Even with a computer in my pocket, it's a hundred times more powerful than the computers which got us to the moon. But Keller would not stop at reading about events. She needed to live them to gain first-hand experience and come to conclusions on her own by meeting and engaging and learning from stakeholders. Keller's political involvement expanded beyond workers' rights. 
She was one of the founding members of the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, a nonprofit organization geared towards protecting constitutional rights. Keller was a vocal advocate of female suffrage, gender equality, and birth control. She was also a proponent of racial equality, and in 1916, she donated to the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, and wrote a letter of support which was later publicly printed by W.E.B. Dubois, a racial equality activist. In the 1920s, Helen Keller became highly involved with the American Foundation for the Blind. She would travel around the country, appearing at rallies and lectures to spread awareness of disability rights. In 1928, Keller supported the AFB in creating the Helen Keller Endowment Fund and securing $2 million from supporters, proving her proficiency as a fundraiser and lobbyist. She would even meet and write to state legislatures, Congress, and the president on the topic of providing more resources for the blind. Some of her key areas of focus and, and major accomplishments included creating educational institutions for the blind, subsidizing braille books, and allowing blind people and their guide to only pay a single fare on public transport. Perhaps her most impactful instances of lobbying related to Social Security. When the Social Security Act was first passed in 1935, Keller lobbied for an amendment that would add vocational training for the blind. Later, in 1944, she testified before the House Labor Committee to expand Social Security for the blind and deafblind. She placed particular emphasis on the need to support blind people of color, whom she felt were particularly in need of aid, lying at the intersection of two marginalized communities. The latter decades of Keller's career were mostly dedicated to activism abroad. She visited over 30 foreign countries, oftentimes in connection with her work with the American Federation for the Overseas Blind. While abroad, she would meet with foreign dignitaries and advocated for disability and women's rights, particularly in Asia and the Middle East. Her efforts were noticed and appreciated by the U.S. government. According to Kimmy Nelson, a professor of disability studies, history, and women's and gender studies at Toledo University, the State Department identified her as one of the most effective public representatives of the United States. Eleanor Roosevelt agreed, famously calling Keller a goodwill ambassador. Unfortunately, Helen Keller suffered a stroke in 1961. As her health declined, Keller soon decided to retire from her life as a public figure. She died in 1968, at the age of 88. An impressive writer, Keller published over 10 books and countless articles, essays, and speeches. Several of the organizations she founded or worked with are still operating today. A staunch advocate of progressivist causes, Keller's legacy has cemented her place as one of the most influential professional activists of the 20th century. So how can we go about employing the strategies that left her with such a legacy? Keller employed a variety of techniques aimed largely at substantiating and mobilizing her base and targeting achievable goals. Let's start with the bedrock of her campaigns, connecting with stakeholders. By meeting directly with stakeholders, she was able to engage the community and invigorate organized action. This is important because even when people face harrowing challenges, they may not be inclined to act due to the inconvenience of mobilizing or the belief that movement cannot accomplish meaningful change. By choosing goals which were specific and achievable, Keller ensured that her base would have the opportunity to replenish its motivation with successes. Targets like single fares for blind people and their guides on public transportation, or access to the silver nitrate eye drops which would prevent infection of ophthalmia neonatorum. These were tangible. They were well supported, appealed to the emotions as symbolically representing the struggle facing these communities, and would lead to drastic improvements in the quality of life for many direct stakeholders. 
One of the ways which Color disseminated the information she collected and communicated with her stakeholders was through her writing. By constantly putting out new work, she was able to keep in touch with her base even when she could not meet with them directly. With social media having become such a critical infrastructure in society today, it's important to understand that this has become only even more important. Keller was instrumental in mobilizing individuals by uniting different groups behind cohesive movements. By connecting these different communities, Keller was able to harness much more social momentum, as opposed to strictly working with the resources of one group. Additionally, the lessons she would learn from advocating for one group would become the mainstay in her work with others. Keller left many organizations in her wake, culminating in her substantial impact on the systemic infrastructure of her day and age. While organizing and working towards individual goals were valuable, and in many cases pivotal moments for their respective social movements, without organizations to institutionalize these efforts, there would have been no sustainable shift in the social paradigm. These organizations continued providing the services that they were designed to, and now offer resources to millions and millions of stakeholders nationally every single day. As we will explore in next week's episode on the life cycle of social movements, employing nonprofits or social enterprises to address issues of social, environmental, or economic concern are the bedrock of progress. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Activist HQ. If you have any questions or concerns, please write them into us and let us know how we can make this podcast a better experience for you. We want this podcast to be educational and informative, but at the same time engaging, fun, and something that you actually want to listen to. So please feel free to write to us and we will be sure to get back to you. Activist HQ is a Tangency Foundation initiative, a nonprofit activism literacy organization. To learn more about the work that the Tangency Foundation does or how you can get involved with Activist HQ, please visit activisthq.org or for the podcast, activisthq.org slash podcasts. Thank you very much and see you next week.